Sengoku Jidai. While you may not be familiar with the term if you have not studied Japanese history, essentially it was known as the Warring States period in Japan during the medieval Japanese feudal era occurring about 500 years ago. During this time, Japan, now thought of as a unified whole with its economic powerhouse, was split up between dozens of competing daimyo, the military rulers of the various clans who held ultimate control over their various regions, often vying with each other for political influence as well as outright military conflict. This period of time is where this game, simply known as Ronin, takes place. While everyone is familiar with the idea of the Japanese feudal warrior known as a samurai, clad in armor or atop a horse, fighting with a katana, a bow, and otherwise the Japanese medieval equivalent to a European knight. These samurai occupied a important place in society, acting as the warriors, well, the high-level warriors, for these various daimyo who administered the land. The samurai were vassals of these daimyo and had their own complex and interweaving system of clans and families. All in all, the structure of medieval Japan during the Sengoku period is very similar to that of Europe during the Dark Ages. However, as the name of the role-playing game suggests, we are a ronin. We are considered amongst the lowest of the low in this very rigid and structured medieval Japanese society. We are disgraced. We are a wanderer, or perhaps even a beggar. We have no honor. We are also free. We are free from the constraints of a medieval feudal society. We are free from servitude. We are free from fealty. We are a roamer. We are a wanderer. However, we do have a purpose. I have never played Ronin before, so we will be discovering the rules of the game together. I'll probably make mistakes, and that's alright, because at its heart, this game is simply about telling an engaging and interesting story together. If you had watched the previous One Guy, One Roll, One Shots, Episode 1, where I played through Artifact, then you know that this is going to be a little less heavily edited, unlike the primary content on the channel. It's going to be more free-flowing and more just raw audio, as opposed to the carefully curated and edited work I do for Iron Sworn Star Forged, for example. I really enjoyed making the one shot for Artifact and thought we would jump into something completely different this time. Anyways, if you are new to the channel, this is the One Guy, One Roll podcast, and this is episode two of the One Guy, One Roll, One Shots, where we are playing Ronin. I, of course, as always, am Hero Cities, your host, player, and GM. I hope you all enjoy this new episode of One Guy, One Roll, One Shots. And without further ado, let's get into it. After a blisteringly hot day, the sounds of cicadas chittering away in the trees surrounding the forest path upon which a single man walks alone. This man is simply known by one name, for he does not have a family name anymore. His name, spoken about not at all, for he has never made a name for himself outside of his own fall from grace. 
Genjiro walks upon this forest path, his sweat-stained face slowly drying as the blisteringly humid heat slowly gets replaced by the cool night air blowing off the sea. Amongst the deafening howl of cicadas, the camera pans in upon this lone walking figure is a hulking beast of a man. He both towers over everybody else and is wider than everybody else as well. Purely on size alone makes him stand out amongst everybody else. Those who travel opposite him upon the path generally gawk and stare as he tops well over six feet tall and well over 250 pounds. However, despite this unusual size, he still carries himself as a warrior. While not necessarily toned and well-muscled, he's still very strong. Strapped to his waist, although somewhat dwarfed by his massive size, is a finely made katana. A katana which Genjiro is very familiar with. A katana that should have been surrendered upon his separation from his daimyo retainer. However, it was not, and he still has it to this day, a symbol of the samurai, even if Genjiro himself has been disgraced and exiled. Things have never been easy for Genjiro. Genjiro, the orphan, he was called, by the Kazekani, or Crab Clan, whom he worked as a servant for. They utilized his giant size, the Kazekani Clan. The Kazekani clan is most notable for the use of ninjas militarily, an unusual aspect for a samurai clan. However, utilizing this network of informants and contacts, they're always in the know, and they always know everything. He never did learn where the Kazekane clan found him or how he ended up being brought into their service, but due to his remarkable size and strength, he was used for a variety of different manual tasks around the Kazekane seaside castle. Eventually, his remarkable strength and endurance drew the eye of one of the Kazekane commanders who conscripted him into one of the peasant militia, utilizing the Naginata, or spear. Before long, the Kazekane clan got involved in the ongoing wars of the Senjuku period, clashing with neighbors both clandestinely and upon the open battlefield. When the seaside castle of the Kazakani was threatened, Ginjaro the orphan caught the eye of the daimyo on the battlefield, where his massive size and endless endurance made him a fierce opponent, cutting down another one of the opposing samurai, his naginata, not only unhorsing the samurai, but cleaving straight through his ceramic armor, killing the man instantly, showering the young Ginjaro in blood, turning this already gigantic beast of a man into a true horror to witness on the battlefield. Lacking the military strength of the other clans, 
Ginjiro was gifted a katana, although, given his background as an orphan, he was never truly indoctrinated into the samurai class, merely fought alongside them, and despite always being known as Ginjiro the orphan, he soon begrudgingly earned the respect of the few samurai the Kazekane clan even possessed. The Kazekane prefer more clandestine methods of removal of their adversaries. Assassination, infiltration, and kidnapping are much more in line with the Kazekane's ideal. However, eventually, open warfare is required against the other clans, and Ginjiro soon became one of the best within the clan. Continuing his way along the forest path, the cicadas starting to quiet down as the setting sun disappears below the horizon. Ginjiro reaches a small bridge across a creek, a creek just deep enough that he unties the sash of his worn, faded, and beaten down hakama, places his katana gracefully on the side of the creek where he can watch it, and begins to wash himself, feeling the cool, comforting, and refreshing waters of the creek as he washes away the sweat and grime from many days of walking under the harsh Japanese sun. The true size of this man is now on display. The fact that he is built like a brick house, yet remains carefully balanced upon the rocks, is something unusual. Usually, strength and dexterity do not go hand in hand. Not so much with Genjiro. Splashing water upon his face, he looks up, hearing a sound from above him. He looks up, and you can see a massive scar running up from the corners of one of his mouth, halfway up the side of one of his cheeks. Not so much hideously disfiguring him, but something unhideable and very identifiable. Narrowing his eyes at the sound, his hand instinctively goes to this ragged, unnatural line across his face. And he is frustrated, thinking about if they might be following him. If the one who gave him the scar, the one who betrayed him, still following in pursuit. This scar, and the, from the corner of his mouth, the fact it is so fresh and only a little bit healed, reminding him that even one's closest allies can stab you in the back. Having splashed some water on his face and doing nothing with the unkept mop of long hair atop his head, merely tied up into a half-assed ponytail, Ginjiro once again dons his hakama, picks up his katana, places his ratty and worn kasa, or woven bamboo hat, back upon his head, and leans up against a tree, trying to grab a little bit of sleep before the nightmares inevitably return. Once again, as always, the dream returns. At first, hardly a nightmare, nothing but joy and happiness, hands intertwined with someone, someone whose face is always covered, covered by long hair, perhaps long shadows. Ginjiro cannot tell. All he knows is the feeling of happiness, the feeling of joy, dancing with this figure, this faceless figure, in a wheat field during a windy night, a night with a moon impossibly large, a moon filling the sky, a moon cold yet bright, casting shadows through these fields of wheat. 
For some reason, this dancing figure, this joyous occasion, leaves nothing but darkness in Ginjiro's heart. Whether his own memory or of something else, he's not sure. But once again, as always, he awakes with a start, a cold sweat dampening his brow. A full moon stares down upon him, mocking him, laughing him at his pitiful attempts to get sleep. Sometime early in the morning, Ginjiro, stiff from sleeping up against the tree, pulls his massive form up from the ground, grabs his hat, places it upon his head, and continues out upon the forest trail, trying to put miles behind him before the coming of the scorching sun, as it always does, humid and hot in the afternoon. The rest of the journey along the road is uneventful. Few people brave the scorching afternoon rays, and fewer still bother to interact with this lone, strangely dressed, massive katana-wielding man, giving him a wide berth upon the road. He is clearly no samurai, and he is clearly no simple peasant. He is something different, something outside the normal for people to witness. By that evening, Ginjiro arrives in a town. Although the guards watching over the simple wooden bridge that leads into town eyeball Ginjiro, they don't do anything to stop him from entering the city. However, his strange dress and mannerisms does give him a point of reputation as the guards talk amongst themselves and gossip, talking to the local clan in charge of this town, and knowledge of this strange, lone wanderer begins to spread. Even though Ginjiro doesn't even have two pieces of copper to rub together, one of the local bars is in need of a bouncer, and given his large size and massive strength, they're willing to feed him and even give him a place to sleep on the common room floor for simply standing around looking imposing and potentially throwing out any rowdy clientele. Ginjiro knows he cannot stick around for too long or else his name will become known. However, after a couple days of working at the bar and feeling fairly well fed and at least somewhat rested as much as his nightmare will let him, a couple of days pass and Ginjiro is beginning to feel the call of the road again, the need to keep wandering. However, with his back leaned up against one of the walls of this small back alley pubs, someone different than the other clientele comes in. The usual clientele for this dockside bar along the bustling merchant port of this coastal city are sailors, dockhands, and other sorts like that. It is not an establishment that caters to the upper class. Certainly you would never see a samurai or one of the noble clan members in a place like this. However, you also wouldn't see somebody with long hair done up in a top knot on top of their head carrying a large satchel on their shoulder. Their clothes are well-worn, yet at one point were clearly made of a very fine material that has just been exposed to the outdoors. This man, with barely even a glance toward Ginjiro, saddles up to the bar, orders a drink, and begins to look around the bar like he's looking for somebody. An hour passes, and seemingly down on his luck, this man gets up from the bar and begins to make his way towards the door out. However, looking up, he spots Ginjiro. 
Oh my, aren't you a big one, he exclaims. Kinjodo Miri nods. Well, it looks like my, well, partner isn't going to show up, the man says. And he begins to duck under the low door frame to this establishment. However, turning back to look at Ginjuro, he looks him up and down as if sizing him up. Tell me, friend, if I told you I had a proposition to make you wealthy, would you be interested? He then smiles, revealing a few gold teeth in his mouth. Ginjuro merely shrugs. Not really. The man sighs. You're not one much for talk, are you, big man? Well, my name is Hinata, he says with a bow. Ginjiro merely, rather rudely, just inclines his head. Ginjiro, you know, big guy, he says as he looks down at the sword tucked into Ginjiro's sash around his waist. I think you have an interesting story, and I think I can make us both rich. What do you say you meet me on the docks after you finish work here tonight? I might have a proposition for you. Kinjaro merely nods his head. Look, Hinata, I'm not planning on staying here very long. Hinata merely shrugs a little bit and bows to Kinjaro as he leaves. Like I said, I have an interesting proposition as he leaves the bar. After the bar closes up and Kinjaro gets his meal, he ventures out under the cover of darkness, hand on the hilt of his sword, to meet with the mysterious Hinata. He finds him, with little effort, sitting on a crate, with his rather large satchel still draped over his shoulder. Hinata pops up off the crate, excited, animated, about seeing Ginjaro here. After exchanging a few pleasantries, Hinata explains to Ginjaro that he is what some might call an opportunist. He travels across the lands looking for opportunities to make wealth. Some are boom, some are bust. And his latest ventures involves a contract from one of the local clans to retrieve an important artifact that was lost during the Great Oning War, which came to a close about 50 years ago. This artifact is priceless for this clan. This artifact is a Buddha that has been covered in gold leaf, and upon its forehead is the symbol of this clan. While clearly not interested in being kept on as a retainer for this clan, Hinata is sizing up Ginjuro. Ginjuro shows little interest in whatever rewards might come from this Buddha. However, Hinata is offering a 30-70 split for Ginjuro if he was to assist him in recovering the artifact. Ginjuro expresses little interest outwardly. However, he does know that if he is able to successfully recover this Buddha with Hinata, he wouldn't have to work as a bouncer for simply a room. He would likely be set up for a while with his traveling expenses. In order for us to be able to go on this side quest with Hinata, we're going to have to be successful on a charm roll, making him our ally. The way that works is I roll two six-sided dice. One is black, one is white, certifying yin and yang. The black dice is always the opponent. The light dice is always us. In this case, I'm rolling plus our compassion, which is two. I roll a six on the, the light dice and a five on the dark dice, giving us a success. He is now an ally. He will come to our aid when needed and according to his occupation, which is a fortune hunter. 
without revealing any of his personal background, Ginjuro more than convinces Hinata, who was already looking for someone to help him anyways, that he is more than able to assist in this adventure. And come the morning, the two of them set off into the dense woods surrounding this coastal trading settlement, where the Buddha was last rumored to have been seen, carried by one of the princesses of the samurai clan who was fleeing the destruction during the Onin War. This is going to be leaving the trail, so we will roll to search for something. We got a six. You find what you're looking for, but you have to face an enemy. Hinata and Ginjaro set off from the settlement and proceed without issue into the woods, following the river as it meanders its way deeper into the foothills. However, upon reaching the site where Hinata suspected this Buddha is located, they find that they are not alone. Before they are spotted, they can see smoke rising on the horizon. Now they are the better part of a day away from the road or any other settlement. And its excitement rushes forward, expecting that maybe someone has already uncovered this Buddha, suspecting they might be allies of some kind. However, Ginjuro stays back. Ginjuro suspects that this group of individuals are of a shadier sort. During the last 50 years of more or less civil war raging across the country, bandit groups have multiplied. Bandit groups that want nothing more than to capture and kill anybody who interacts with them. Or, if they're someone worthwhile or valuable, the ability to sell them in a ransom. With his bumbling running through the woods, Hinata runs smack into one of these bandits who draws his sword and threatens Hinata to give him his satchel or be cut down. Ginjuro, not exactly one for stealth, comes out of the underbrush challenging this bandit to a fight. Now this is our first fight in Ronin. To fight, you must roll two dice. The dark dice is the opponent, the light dice is yours. We have a katana giving us plus two to fight. Per this encounter, the enemy has plus two fight and a block of one. We have a block of two. This man, this bandit, upon seeing Ginjaro with his katana drawn, eyes go wide and he levels his spear towards us, his makeshift spear, and charges forward without even uttering a word. We roll a two, the bandit rolled a five. Not expecting such a fierce charge initially. This wild man stabs at us as we exit out of the underbrush. And just barely with the tip of the spear cutting through the sleeve of our hakama, we just barely bat it away and square off again. We roll the six. The bandit got a five. He does have a block of one. So, squaring up with him fairly, he stabs at us again with wild recklessness, and we parry the head of the spear away and clock him in the face with our elbow, knocking the man back, leaving him open for the counterattack. One rule I missed was since we have an ally with us who's an innocent, we should be adding plus one to the fight. So, we will add three, our opponent will add two. We roll the six, and our opponent rolled a three. Upon parrying the head of the spear down, we're left with an opportunity for a quick strike, which we take, twisting our wrists with the katana in hand and slicing through the man's wrist, which is holding the spear, causing him to drop it to the ground. A spurt of blood coming from the stump where his hand used to be. 
coating the ground and spraying Hinata, who was cowering on the ground where he had been knocked to with the butt of the bandit's spear. His hand lost, the fight over, the bandit gets down on his knees and begs for mercy. Kinjaro looks down at this begging man and considers whether or not he is worth cost of killing. Taking the butt of his sword, Ginjaro clocks the man in the temple, causing him to knock out. He may bleed to death, he may not. That is not Ginjaro's problem. However, he will not kill the man who is unable to defend himself. Offering a hand down to Hinata, Ginjaro helps pull the man up from the ground. Bowing in thanks and swearing eternal friendship to Ginjaro, Hinata begins to pick through what the camp here has stored. It seems like most of the bandits are gone, out doing some kind of nefarious deeds or another, and had left this lone man to guard over the camp. In the camp, Hinata is able to uncover the lost Buddha statue, along with some various other minor knickknacks, which he quickly pockets, and the two of them return back to town. And with our defeat of this opponent, we did not kill him, so we gain plus one reputation, bringing our reputation up to two. Reputation is primarily used for determining when we start squaring off versus the various villains of the story. Whenever we roll to do our travel, there's a chance, if we have a high enough reputation, that we will end up having a conflict with one of the main villains of the story. Returning back to town, Hinata takes the statue up to the local samurai clan's fortification in town, while Ginjiro stays behind, not wanting to expose himself to somebody that might know him. Obviously, his distinct scar running up from the corner of his mouth up his cheek could easily give him away. It seems to take a long while, and Ginjiro begins to think that maybe he was betrayed by Hinata when the long-haired man makes his way back down into town, and once again, profusely thanking Ginjiro, gives him his share of the bounty. With some money in his pocket, he bids Hinata farewell. The strange fortune hunter turned, well, maybe not a friend, but at least an ally, who is determined to head to one of the gambling dens and turn his gains into a fortune. Perhaps we shall meet Hinata again, perhaps not. Either way, Ginjaro has been here far enough, and it is time, once again, to hit the road. And with that, our episode comes to a close. As our giant, quiet, yet powerful man turns his back on the city and makes his way along a twisting coastal road towards whatever future awaits him. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Ronin here on One Guy, One Roll, One Shots. Normally, I would continue to record and make an extremely long podcast for the one shot version of the show. However, If I did that, I would have to wait until I get back into town in two weeks, and this style of format I think just works better for a podcast in general. So, unless it's going to be a pretty quick one-shot, like Artifact ended up running about an hour and a half, this kind of more episodic style content just makes sense. I hope you all enjoyed listening to Ronin. I really enjoy the system. I think the game is fun. We'll see how long it's going to last and whether my opinions change about it as I get more and more into the repetition of the system itself. 
I think it's a great way to make a story, and I really have no idea what it's going to throw at us in the future. Anyways, if you guys like the content and are interested in providing additional support for the podcast, I do have a Patreon over on patreon.com slash one guy one role. It is by no means required, and I will never paywall, and I will never have advertisements on my podcast, and it's all thanks to the extremely generous donations of people on Patreon. Thank you so much, you guys. It's honestly been a little bit more expensive to maintain the podcast with hosting and upgrades to my equipment and other stuff like that, and without y'all, this podcast simply would not be financially possible. So, a huge thank you to everyone who supports me over on Patreon, especially Journeyman Wes, Journeyman Nick, Journeyman JL, Journeyman Stefan, Journeyman James, Journeyman Matt, and Apprentice Sam. Thanks so much, y'all. As I said, all of this is possible thanks to you. And of course, a huge thank you to anybody who just merely listens into the podcast. Without y'all, I wouldn't have the inspiration or desire to keep making more content. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, player, and GM, Hero Cities, signing off. Have a great day, and stay safe out there, y'all.